So I've talked to different ones of you, and some of you have, have given your opinions about being in this room um, unsolicited. It was great. Um, and we've asked you to do that. We didn't ask mm -hmm. you not to comment on the room. And uh, each week we've adjusted things. And each week we've taken what we hear and, and keep tweaking it. We will be back in the sanctuary the second Sunday in September. We will have, uh, next week we'll meet in here and we'll have communion in here. Still thinking about how I want to arrange it um, and how it, how it should look for us um, and how it should feel for us. So we experience something a little different. Um, I, I, I was, uh, last week, a, a couple of our younger adults um, asking them about this worship in this room. They say, you know, this room is so much more inviting to our generation. And I thought, huh, this room is so much more welcoming and hospitable to our generation. I want you to think of that when you think about the future of this congregation. In our surveys, you all said things like, we're concerned about youth, we're concerned about what's next, we're concerned about the next generation. We'll tuck that comment away and, um, and listen to it. What would it take for you to prove what you said in the surveys? That you're concerned about the next generation and not about your own comfort or your own familiarity or anything like that. So give that a thought. Um, pay attention to what we're learning. And um, no big changes are going to be made today or tomorrow. So uh, we just get to try stuff and go from there. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, the 10th chapter. Next week we begin a, a very brief series on the mission statement of the congregation, or at least the um, the value statement that we're using in the pastor nominating committee. And it's in your bulletin, and I invite you to look at that. It says this, Placentia Presbyterian Church, through Jesus Christ, we experience the hand of God in our lives, which motivates us to be of service and to live generously with our local communities and the world. We're a hands-on people engaging in creative, inspired, and timely ministries while building relationships with those we serve. That is a description of who we've been and who we are. Who we will be is up to us to live into, uh, again, who we've been and who we are. Are we a creative people truly moving forward? Are we a people that are, are going to uh, be timely with our ministries? Or are we going to be people that cling to what was? Again, just have you think about that. Our text again. So next week we start into that, and our sermon next week will be, uh, uh, we experience the hand of God through Jesus Christ. So that's what the sermon is next week. This week, though, we conclude with table talk. And it's from the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. And it begins in verse 34 through verse 43. Here are God's word. Then Peter began to speak to them. Uh, he's, right now he's been in uh, Cornelius' home. Do you remember Peter had the, the vision and he was, had the, all the different animals and stuff that were on the, 
the uh, uh, blanket and uh, whatever it was, and and uh, and he was told to eat of them. And he goes, "Oh no, you know, there's snakes in there, and there's there's all kinds of stuff that we're not allowed to eat." And and it happens to him three times, and God at the end of it has a word for him, and he ends up. Uh, being confronted or being invited by one of the servants from Cornelius's home. Cornelius is a um, Gentile, uh, and he's invited Peter to his home. And uh, both of them have had dreams, and both of them are responding to them. And now Peter is in Cornelius's home. He began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Let it soak in, folks. We lay so many, put so many layers on top of the scripture of things we've inherited for 2,000 years. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The message spread, that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And now a little bonus text. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard him speaking in tongues and extolling God then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they invited him to stay for several days. Pray with me. God, may we hear what is new and good. May we hear old words that we've paid attention to. May we gain new understanding, new insights. Fresh starts on the things and beliefs that we've held for so long that they might come alive afresh in us. In Jesus' name, amen. What God has made clean, you must not 
call profane. It happened three times for emphasis, and that's where um, Peter finds himself in Cornelius' home. Some time ago, Dee and I, along with some folks from our presbytery, um, were, were privileged to be in Mirage, India. And um, we were there for almost, almost a month, not quite, just a few days short of that. Um, I think for Dee, it was one of the longest months of her life because she was separated from her children during that time. And uh, she did vow never to do that again. Um, Instead, they left us. What can we say? And moved out into the world. Um, but but uh, uh, we were there, and we were working uh, in this hospital. They were um, building homes uh, for uh, leprosy patients, folks that had leprosy at the time. Uh, leprosy now is eradicated, or can be. Um, it's very rare in the world, and it can be dealt with with, it, with just some basic medication. Um, and some of these doctors at this hospital are responsible for that happening throughout the world. One of them went on to be the head of the leprosy uh, 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 work in Indonesia that was a worldwide leprosy group. And um, they were known in this town for dust, donkeys, and doctors. Um, dust because, oh, it was dusty. And donkeys were everywhere. They were just wandering the streets. Um, if, and if you were like in a car or a bicycle or a little motorcycle, or something, you'd just let them have their way because they'd win. Um, and there were two doctors, uh, Dr. Churian and Kalindi Thomas, a husband and wife. And Kalindi had a far-reaching work that related to all the villages and the rural community around this town of Mirage. Mirage is considered a little town of 240,000 people. That's the size of Santa Ana. And they had um, uh, a ministry to millions of people, literally, and the, all the surrounding villages. Um, I would not call India as a place that had anything rural because there were people everywhere all the time. Uh, sleeping in fields. just It's an amazing country. I'd go back in a heartbeat. And they had this work, and Kalindi would take um, her workers from the hospital, and she'd go from village to village, and they would teach basic common health practices that would save people's lives. They taught them about oral hygiene. They taught them all kinds of things, how to strain their water and make sure that it was clean and clear, and ready to drink, and uh, they made these little birthing kits that in the birthing kit, D, if I have this right, it was a razor blade that was sterile. It was a piece of thread to tie off the umbilical cord that was also sterile, and some sterile gauze. And they did that because many women would get infections after birth because they just cut the umbilical cord with whatever they had, and they would get infections and they could die from that and so they taught people how to do that they saved millions of people's lives um, and it was something else so we went with them one day we visited a couple of places and at one village we were invited to tea by one of the people who lived there and 
it raised all the red flags we were taught about not getting sick in a foreign country. We got inside their home that was a one-room home where they also cooked on a little stove. Um, it was vented, which is something that uh, the doctors also helped them understand that they were getting lung diseases because of the smoke. And um, the challenge was this. We're pretty sure the water wasn't boiled as hot as it should have been. It was pretty clear. It came from a well in the town that probably had things in it. And the cups were probably washed in the same water that came from the well without soap. They were rinsed. And the food, I don't remember what she offered us, but it was like there we were with this food set before us and this cup to drink. And everything in my head was like Peter. No. And we drank the tea and ate the food, and we were fine, and our worries were not um, confirmed. Accepting hospitality was a sign of respect to these people, a sign of how much they sacrificed to have us in their home. They had stopped working. They had... Uh, given us things that they don't have every day in terms of what we ate. They were overly generous, and um, it gave honor to our hosts for us to partake and to be there. And it also changed us a little bit because it meant we were in a place where we were not in control. We simply had to receive what we were given. This idea of respect, welcome, not being in control. Eating and drinking as a sign of trust. Paul says that what happened with Jesus was that Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Paul says that in Ephesians. It's what Peter was commanded to do in Acts. We're going to break down the dividing wall of hostility that has given rise to all these rules. It is a witness to the resurrection that there is one who holds us and keeps us regardless of our circumstances. We are a new kind of people. Peter was not expressing his parents' religion. Peter is an eyewitness to something new. A participant in a new way of living that the world hadn't experienced yet. As demonstration of the resurrection, Peter says, we are the ones who ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Just as a, as a note, eat, eating and drinking is not something that ghosts do. And we all know that because we've all been to the haunted mansion at Disneyland. And when the ghosts eat and drink, it just goes right through them. And we can see it. They have the bottle, and then there's this line of color that just goes all the way, and we assume spills out somewhere into the rivers of Disney. 
And that's the, the, the thing. But we get that, that what Peter is saying is, we were with him, he appeared to us, he ate and drank with us. He was alive and is alive. And that's his Peter, that's Peter's preaching. But those outsiders that were listening to Peter the household of Cornelius, which would have had, Cornelius was an impressive man. He had, he had security people there. He had, um, he had servants there. He had extended family. They all lived in this large space together. And, um, and all of them, while he was speaking, were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Unsolicited. No one asked for it. No one in the group that was given the Spirit had been circumcised. No one in the group knew what was going on, but they were, as the text says, they were speaking in tongues or languages, and they were exhorting, extolling, or praising God. Then baptism happened, and then they confessed their faith. Huh. So I'm always amazed at people who want to reduce Christianity to a, to a series of events that have to happen in order. Um, people will say, well, you've got to repent, and then you've got to do this, and then you've got to do that, and then you get, then you get the Spirit, and you've got Jesus, and, then, and all these things have to happen. And that's not what happened at all in the book of Acts. In fact, every time people who come to know Jesus, it changes in the book of Acts. There is no formula for coming to faith. God's in charge, Amen. not us. And people will come in all kinds of ways. And so it's helpful to us to think about that if anyone promotes an order or a way to come to God, that just don't listen to them very much because they're not paying attention to what the Bible says. Take them to this text instead and say, tell me what you read here. The Spirit comes, then the preaching from those who were indwelt by the Spirit. So they immediately become preachers praising God once they receive the Spirit. Sorry to those of you online. They immediately become preachers. They didn't have to go to seminary. They didn't have to go to a Bible study. They began to extol the character of God as they had been revealed to them. There's no programmed order. What does it mean? It means that bidden or unbidden, God is present. That's a little sign in my spiritual director's office when he had an office. It just said bidden or unbidden, whether we ask him or not, God is present. So when do we see Jesus and eat with Jesus? When does that happen for you and for me? At every meal? Perhaps most poignantly at communion? At every event? in every person. In fact, 
we're told that's where we meet Jesus at every meal, at every event, in every person. Jesus, during his ministry, shared this from Matthew. It's the last judgment. And he welcomes some people in who had seen him hungry and thirsty and naked and imprisoned. And they asked, so when did we ever see any, you in any of these conditions? And he responds, when did, they say, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and offered you food or drink? And then the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Remember that all the children of the world are God's children. All of them. We don't get to pick and choose which ones. And they don't have to come in the order we think to faith. But we are extolled and we are exhorted to recognize that God is present in every human being. Everyone. The checker at the market, the person at the gas station who doesn't pump your gas, the people you meet, um, the people you want to shake your fist at when you're driving on the freeway. Even to the very least human being you might encounter, you will encounter Jesus. Remember Mother Teresa, I shared this with you a little, little time ago, but Mother Teresa of Calcutta, as she was working with the poorest of poor in Calcutta, and you have to remember, I, I, she came to Tijuana uh, towards the end of her ministry in life, and she said the worst poverty she had ever seen in her life was in Tijuana. I've seen some poverty in India, and I've seen poverty in Tijuana, and I've seen poverty other places. She's probably right, because she knows what she speaks. But the poverty in Calcutta was amazing as well. And she was asked, well, what makes you able to do the work you're doing? And she says this, I'm able to be patient and present with the poorest of the poor because I see in them a patient Jesus. Isn't that interesting? She sees in them the very patient, as in, I'll take my time with you, Jesus. And she sees him in each one of the poorest of the poor. If anybody had any possibility of living, if anybody had any chance of waking up the next morning, she actually didn't take care of them. She took care of the people everybody had given up on. They were dying in the street. And she would go and she would give them dignity. She would wash their wounds, bandage them up. Some of them got better. Many died. But they died with dignity because they were cared for by her. She saw in them 
her patient Jesus. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He uses the Latin phrase, very latitat, which means uh, basically the truth incognito. That in human beings, in the person sitting next to you this morning, Jesus is present in this room. Jesus is here incognito in the person next to you. Humbling thought to be the one that Jesus is in and you're reflecting Jesus whether you know it or not. And it's really humbling to those of us that are looking going, I don't see it. Bringing food for the neighborhood, it's a great gift. Boxing itself is another gift. Delivering it is another gift. Asking someone from the neighborhood to a meal or receiving one, you may just eat and drink with Jesus. All of the steps that we do in giving people food are really good. We should increase what we do and not back down from it a bit. We should excel in giving more than what, we, uh, what is required. But there's another step. Having a meal with someone from the neighborhood, having a meal with one of, and I won't even call these folks the least of these, but somebody who is in need. We end up meeting Jesus. Now we get a little bit of that once a year. We're invited to a taste of maple um, in the neighborhood. This last year, how many of you went to a taste of maple? God bless you. You went to the neighborhood. You saw Jesus and the people that are in that neighborhood. What? And ate well. well. Yeah, that's what happens. And... um, and it's, it's significant. And if you think about what Peter is saying in this text, he says, we were the ones, Jesus was revealed to us. We sat and ate and drank with him so we knew the resurrection was real. People in the world will know the resurrections made a difference in your life and mine if we eat with them and drink with them. If we become friends. Now, in the mission study that we did as a church, one of the things that the neighborhood said it wants, from that it needs, and not from us as a church, that it needs, is we would love for someone to facilitate people getting together to become neighbors. And our team of people looked at that and went, that's in our wheelhouse, we know how to do that. And the question is, will we do it going forward? Will we live into it? Jesus incognito with the people. In that village in India, far from the city and any attention at all, we were attended to by no other than Jesus. I am so glad we ate in that little hut on the floor. Jesus comes hidden. 
and the people he loves. So doctors Chirian and Kalendi Thomas were here visiting. Forgive me if I've shared this. I don't believe I have. But they were visiting our church, and um, uh, they wanted to make a connection with the mission committee up at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. So we drove up to Hollywood, and we got there. We parked in the parking lot. And um, as it is oftentimes in Hollywood, the street out in front of the church was um, consumed with a production company doing some sort of TV film. And there were directors, and there were cameras, and there were lights on, and there were people running around. And we were there during a break, and, uh, and, and there were chairs with people's names on them, you know, director and, you know, different we didn't recognize any of the names on the backs of the chairs. Probably didn't make it to, to release. But um, they were there, and they're doing it, and it was a big deal. Lots of people scurrying around, doing lots of things. And there I had Chirian and Kalindi, and we walked through the set because it was the way into the church. And we walked past them, and nobody paid attention to us. And we made it in, and we made it up, and had our meeting with Bryce, and and left the same way. Again, incognito to the people that thought what they were doing was such a big deal. These two doctors have saved the lives of millions of people. Millions. And Jesus walked through the midst of that set unnoticed. That has to change. Grace and witness happen when we welcome and are welcomed by those outside the faith we profess. God might just act in a way that you and I would consider it to be a miracle. You might just recognize Jesus in your midst. We are now closer to Christmas than we are away from it on the calendar. And we will sing Emmanuel. Will we see him? Surely, when we serve those he loves, we can look 